today I'm going to be reading a little passage from Hebrews 1 um, uh, on God's final word and about his son. So uh, it's verses 1 to 4. So in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his song, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. There's a bloke called Morgan Scott Peck. He, was a, he is an American psychiatrist and a best-selling author. He authored the books The Road Less Travelled and Further Along the Road Less Travelled, which were major bestsellers in the 70s and the 80s. He states that when he first decided to read the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, he was sceptical to say the least. He thought he would find a public relations exercise written by authors who tied together all the loose ends and embellished their accounts about this man, Jesus. What he found, though, left him stunned and surprised. He even described that the Jesus he discovered in those first four books of the New Testament was perhaps the best kept secret of Christianity. This is what he had to say. I was absolutely thunderstruck by the extraordinary reality of the man I found in the Gospels. I discovered a man who was almost continually frustrated. His frustration leaps out of virtually every page. What do I have to say to you? How many times do I have to say it? What do I have to do to try to get through to you? I discovered a man who was frequently sad, at times even scared, and someone who even knew what it meant to be lonely. I discovered a man so incredibly real that no one could have made him up. It occurred to me that if the gospel writers had been into PR and embellishment, as I had assumed, they would have created the kind of Jesus that three quarters of Christians seem to still be trying to create. Portrayed with a sweet unending smile on his face, patting little children on the head. But the Jesus of the Gospels, who some suggest is the best kept secret of Christianity, did not have much peace of mind as we ordinarily think of peace of mind in the world's terms. The best kept secret of Christianity. I remember when I read that quote many years ago, it had the effect of making me relook at what I thought I knew about Jesus. My image of Jesus at that time was very safe, tame and religious. So when I read Peck's quote, I wondered if I'd missed something. And I began to reread the Gospels with greater effort, trying to understand the culture of the day, the Jewish religious system, the time in history. I tried to read Jesus in his day, in his place. And I have to admit that I came away with this impression that he had that he was so much more than I'd ever, ever given him credit for. And he no longer fitted neatly and easily into what I thought a Christian should look like. 
He certainly could not be described as tame or safe. He was difficult to predict and at times difficult to understand. People who seemed to be more religious and self-righteous did not seem to be comfortable around him. While those who did seem to be comfortable around him were the type that no one else wanted around. He loved to praise others. When he worked a miracle, he often deflected credit back to the recipient. Your faith has healed you. He treated women with great respect and took them seriously. He listened to them carefully, asking for their opinion. Something that was almost unheard of in that day. A rabbi treating women with great respect, treating them as if they were equals. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German martyr, described the Jesus of the gospel as the man for others. He would accept almost anyone's invitation to dinner and seemed to mix with a very diverse group of people, from the rich to Roman centurions, Pharisees to tax collectors, prostitutes to leprosy sufferers. He saw and spoke of the value of children and warned of the consequences for anyone who would cause suffering and harm to any little one. Philip Yancey once wrote that Jesus Christ is radically unlike anyone else who has ever lived. The difference is the difference between one who is the example of living and one who is life itself. And yet when you read the Gospels, when you read those first four books of the New Testament, you cannot ignore that this carpenter of Galilee also pointed to himself and said that he was the way. He accepted worship from people, like his friend Peter. To a lame man, an adulterous woman, and others, he commandedly said, I forgive your sin. To Jerusalem, he remarked, I am sending prophets uh, and wise men and teachers, as though he firmly believed that he was God. When challenged, he stated that he and God were one. Before Abraham was born, I am, uttering the sacred word for God in case his listeners missed the point. Devout Jews did not miss the point. Several times they picked up stones to punish him for blasphemy. His claims about himself remove any option of being able to regard him as just a good moral teacher or a respected religious leader. C.S. Lewis, who is one of the great thinkers of the last century, wrote these words. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man is who he claimed, the very son of God, or else a madman, or something far worse. This is really important to grapple with. Jesus did not ever waffle or waver about his identity, who he believed he was. He claimed that he was the son of God, sent to save the world. And the people of his day heard those words. 
This is the Jesus who we who claim the name Christian need to know well and to follow. We need to believe and act as though he was telling the truth about himself and everything else as well. We need to discern what we believe would matter to him now if he was living in our shoes. We need to discern who would matter, what causes would matter, and also to discern what wouldn't matter. We need to apply this filter with honesty and courage. I firmly believe that some of the issues and events that we sometimes as a church remain silent on, some of these issues and some of these things that we as a church seem reluctant to discuss are the ones that if he were here would be on the agenda, front and centre. They would be on the agenda for discussion and action. At funerals I conduct, I speak about the fact that my belief, my belief is that Jesus was God with skin on. My belief is that when you look at the qualities and characteristics that we see in the Gospels when we read about this man Jesus, we get to know what God is like from there. And the more you get to know about Jesus, what he was like, the way he cared for others, particularly those who were considered outcasts and looked down on, the way he stood up for those in society in that day who had no voice, no power, the way that he took their side and cared about them when everyone else looked past them. The more you get to know about Jesus, the better God looks. I speak at funeral services about the fact that Jesus taught and showed a God of love and mercy, a God who runs to prodigals, who offers undeserved forgiveness, a God who actually likes people, all people, women, children, even those who don't do religion well. And if it's true that God is like Jesus, that Jesus is this full revelation, this final word about God, then I want to say quite unashamedly that God is too good to miss out on. God is too good to miss out on if he's like Jesus. My belief that is, is that being with God is to be with the source of all that is good and pure. It is to be with the source of love. It is to know that we matter. Jesus offers to those who come to him humbly hope. Hope of a better day and a better way. Jesus offers hope that death doesn't have to be the final word, that he's beaten death and it no longer has power, no longer has to have power over us. He offers hope and he offers comfort to those who will trust him. And as I said before, to trust Jesus is to make the decision to accept that he was telling the truth about himself and everything else as well. It's not to just stop at believing that he was telling the truth about himself. We've got to believe that he was telling the truth about everything else as well. It is to accept that his death on the cross provides a way to be fully forgiven and made right with God. It is then to trust God enough that our lives show that we take him seriously. We pray the prayer, your will be done. And we mean it. Philip Yancey states that the thieves who were crucified either side of that cross that Jesus hung on show two possibilities, two possible responses. One thief mocked Jesus' powerlessness. 
a Messiah who can't even save himself. And the other thief recognised a different kind of power that day. And taking the risk of faith, he asked Jesus to remember him when you come into your kingdom. No one else except in mockery had addressed Jesus as a king. In a sense, those two thieves present the choice that all history has to decide about the cross. Again, Scott Peck writes, I cannot be any more specific about the methodology of love than to quote these words of an old priest who spent many years in the battle. There are dozens of ways to deal with evil and several ways to conquer it. All of them are facets of the truth that the only way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered within a willing human being. When it is absorbed there like blood in a sponge or a spear into one's heart, it loses its power and it goes no further. The healing of evil can only be accomplished by the love of individuals. A willing sacrifice is required. I do not know how this occurs, but I do know that it does. Whenever this happens, there is a slight shift in the balance of power in the world. The balance of power shifted more than slightly on that day at Calvary because who it was, because of who it was, who absorbed that evil, who absorbed the punishment for the sins of all of us. If Jesus was just another innocent victim, he would have made his mark and then faded. No religion would have sprung up around him. What changed everything was the disciples' awareness and it took the resurrection that God had chosen the way of weakness. The cross redefines God who was willing, as one who was willing to relinquish power for the sake of love. In a point of convergence on a hill called Calvary, on a cross, God renounced one for the sake of the other. The cross. This symbol, this sign, this demonstration of the love of God, a God who is passionate, a God who cares, a God who cared so much that he came to reveal himself to us through his very son, Jesus, who became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I want to encourage you this morning, really encourage you. Reread the four Gospels. Reread them with fresh eyes. Put him in his place. Put him in his time. Put him in his culture. And all of a sudden, I guarantee you, he will become a whole lot more. He was never safe. He was never tame. And the people of that day didn't think he was very religious at all. But the things he said and the things he did, did have just um, rippled down through the centuries. Because I believe he told the truth about himself. I believe that he's the son of God. And I believe that he was telling the truth about everything else. Father, my prayer is that we might come to know your son.
better. And in knowing him, we get to know you so much better. My prayer is that we will learn to trust you better. I really thank you for Eli's example this morning. Just trust and obedience. And Father, help us to be your people um, wherever we go, in our workplaces, schools, in this community. Help us to represent you well. Help us to help people know that you're for them and you love them. And Lord, I just thank you for the cross, that old rugged cross. I thank you that what it shows is your incredible love and commitment for each of us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.